Okay, guys, you're welcome to another episode of Hugh's Convos. Uh, I'm glad that you've been following. For those of you who watched the previous videos, like them. I mean, I really appreciate that. It shows that one way or another, some of you have been blessed by these videos. The idea is for you to be blessed and learn a lot of things through the recordings that we do. That's the only reason to why, reason rather, why we do this. And here again is Ryan. Wait, we didn't. We didn't start with whatever. Well, I think I, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I tried it in the next episode. I was like, nah, I think this is becoming too much. All right, okay. I decided to just go with I was so I was so emotionally prepared for it too this time. Okay, what were you going to do this time? Well, no, I mean, I was just gear enough to hear the what up, what up, what up. It didn't happen. I don't know. Okay, guys. What up, what up? All right. Now I can, now I can start. <laughs> okay, guys. Anyway, <laughs> you're welcome to this episode again. Uh, the first two episodes we had with Ryan, we talked about suffering and why, uh, if God is love, then why suffering? Why do we suffer as Christians? And Ryan took us through different, I mean, areas of this, the angle, the logical problem of evil, and what was the second one again? The evidential or the probabilistic, yeah, probabilistic problem, the problem of evil. We talked about that and I broke that into two episodes. I hope you enjoyed it. So if you haven't watched that part, for you to follow up on this next part we're talking about, it's necessary for you to go watch the first two episodes when you understand that and we come to this. So now we're going to talk about, I mean, what's the benefit of suffering? I mean, what do we stand to gain as believers through suffering? I mean, not saying that suffering is a nice thing to talk about or God really wants us to suffer, but then, okay, suffering is here in this world. What then is the benefit? What do we stand to gain from it? Is it just pain, sorrow, and then hoping for us to go to heaven and leave this world? So Ryan and I will discuss this, so yeah, just scary. Yeah, right. cool. Yeah, so remembering what we said in the first, in the, in the first part of the program we were talking about, whether suffering, problem of pain and suffering represents a problem for theism, whether it's rational to believe that God and suffering exist. And our basic message there was um, that God and suffering are not logically contradictory, yeah. as long as we can provide even one potential reason why God might allow so. any suffering at all. And we proposed that free will mm -hmm. gives some reason for us to believe uh, that God might allow at least some suffering, and so the logical problem of evil fails. Mm -hmm. And then we look at the evidential problem of evil, which is the idea that there's just so much suffering of such a serious kind that it's unlikely that God exists. Yeah. And our basic strategy there was to say that we just aren't in a position to know mm -hmm. whether God has sufficient reason for any particular event or particular mm -hmm. example of suffering in the world, so it's not a good argument for us to be able to uh, propose something like that or to say that about God. How, how would we know whether God has that kind of sufficient reason? But throughout that, I, I describe what I think is the Bible's basic message about suffering. And I think that the Bible's basic message about suffering is that God uses suffering as a tool for God's glory and for our benefit. So God uses suffering, and that's the, the, the message we see all throughout the Bible. So um, I want to trace that a little bit through a couple of verses and then um, show what I think are some of the benefits. If it's true that God uses suffering for God's glory and for our benefit, what is the benefit? How, why, how might we understand what benefit 
God is bringing about through suffering. Um, And we have some concrete examples in the Bible of the way that God uses particular instances of suffering for the benefit of the people who are suffering. Um, Like the the, the classic example from the Old Testament is from the life of Joseph. Uh, And Joseph, uh, at the end of Genesis, chapter 50, Joseph's Joseph's brothers have thrown him into a well. They have uh, sold him into slavery. uh, And... As a result, Joseph has risen to power mm-hmm. um, and to a high position in the government of Egypt so that he becomes um, so important that his own brothers have to come and beg him for food. Uh, and Joseph himself says that this is an event that God has. It's an evil event. Mm-hmm. But what they intended for evil, mm-hmm. God meant for good. Meant for good. Yeah. And... Uh, then for the Christian, of course, in the New Testament, the classic example of that is the life of Jesus. Mm-hmm. There is no doubt that the death of Jesus was an act of injustice. He did not deserve to be convicted of a crime. He did not deserve to die on the cross. He was innocent. He was not guilty of any moral wrongdoing. And yet he suffered and died. But God turned that act of immoral suffering for good good. and eternal yeah so god is able to to use those immoral acts of sinful people Mm -hmm. as part of his grand plan to bring about something good Mm -hmm. without god himself committing any moral evil yeah yeah that's true Uh, and that's uh that that's the basic message and we see that woven through right from genesis Mm -hmm. straight through the Gospels, and then in, in Revelation, it's the way that it's the way that John understands a key difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world, which is one of the basic strategies of the Book of Revelation. It contrasts the kingdom of God with the kingdoms of this world. And as as the Bible describes the kingdoms of this world, it describes them in Revelation as Babylon, yeah. and you get these images of beasts, mm-hmm. dragons, whore, riding a beast. I mean, terribly t- awful. And the character of the beast, what the what the the, the empires of this world represent: mm-hmm. uh, military power, mm-hmm. economic success, and uh, the beast conquers by crushing its enemies. And that's, John is, is using those images of beasts and dragons as a way of characterizing the empires of this world to say that the empires of this world, they have power, they have wealth, mm. and they maintain their rule by crushing their enemies, by violently crushing their enemies, I mean, drinking their blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jesus' kingdom is totally different. Yeah. And so when Jesus is revealed in Revelation as the king, it is in the form of a slain lamb. Mm. Not a a beast drinking the blood of its enemies. Yeah, it's a a slain lamb. Mm. That while the kingdoms of this world rule by crushing their enemies, Jesus rules by dying. And you can see how that ties into this message about suffering. Mm. God uses suffering for his glory and for our benefit. Mm. 
So I want to take a look at a couple of particular verses in the Bible that describe this and give us a handle on some of the concrete benefits that uh, result from suffering. So let's look at first at James chapter 1. I'm in verse 2, verse 2 to verse 4. James 1, 2 to 4. James writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Um, you know, it's, it's a striking statement and it's intentionally striking. Um, by the way, Smug is greeting me. Appropriately. <laughs> James is intentionally using this striking, scandalous language. And he does it throughout the throughout the book. It's a string of James can be understood as a string of a series of twelve mini sermons, and, and this is the first one. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So James says that there is a benefit to the trials, the difficulties that we face. Mm -hmm. And he says that at least one of those benefits is perseverance. That when we are faithful, even in suffering, it strengthens us. It develops in us perseverance. And then let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That when we're tested, when we experience difficulties, if we remain faithful, that develops the inner muscles of perseverance, which James says result in maturity. That we become mature through suffering. So, so it's like James saying, look at the bright side. Instead of thinking about being crushed, look at it. When you go through it and you stay faithful to it, you find out you're growing more. Mm -hmm. Your perseverance is strengthened, yeah. and you're able to understand. I can withstand even more. Yeah, yeah, and I think that I think that's verified just by our everyday experience of life. That growth happens through exertion or suffering. Yeah. So uh, we were we were talking about your diet and exercise <laughs> recently. Uh, so if you want to uh, if you want to lose weight, for example, there's a kind of Suffering that's required, right? <laughs> yeah. If you want to lose weight, there's a kind of suffering that is required. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you want to gain muscle strength, or want to build my biceps, mm -hmm. uh, that I, I I have to exert them. Yeah. I've got to strain them. Yeah. Uh, there's a kind of suffering that's required if I want to grow. Mm -hmm. If I want to pass my exam, there's a kind of exertion. Mm -hmm. uh, a voluntary kind of suffering that's required if a sports team that wants to win the match um, needs to practice. Yeah. Uh, so there's a, a, I think, a corresponding principle in the world that we can see the way that in this world there is a kind of suffering that we uh, even have to choose mm -hmm. if we want to arrive at certain kinds of maturity, certain kinds of growth. Mm -hmm. uh, 
there's another verse that um, expresses this in a similar way um, in Romans chapter 5. So uh, Romans is Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome, and he's trying to reconcile Jewish background and Gentile background believers in Rome. And in chapter 5, in verse 4, Paul writes to encourage the believers who are suffering. Yeah, yeah sure. we start in verse 3 who says, Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Mm-hmm. Perseverance, character, okay. and character, hope. Yeah. Suffering, it's just as James has said, suffering produces perseverance. Mm-hmm. That is, if we remain faithful, even when we're suffering, it produces enough perseverance. That's what James has said. Mm-hmm. Perseverance produces character. That's yeah. something similar to what James has said yeah. uh, when he talked about maturity. But Paul takes it a step further. Perseverance produces character. Character produces Um, and that's really a profound lesson. Yeah. Uh, it's profound for me for a couple of reasons. One, on the one hand, it, it, it seems like the world around me wants me to think that hope is naive. Mm. That uh, expecting good things. It's a crazy, it's, it's a crazy idea or yeah. a mad philosophy. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I've got. I, I, I just saw somebody with a tattoo yesterday that said, uh, "No expectations, no disappointments." <laughs> oh, I get that. Uh, and you see that as a meme. Those kinds of messages. You know, if you don't hope for anything, if you don't I expect mean, anything, you're not going to be disappointed. You won't be disappointed, and that's true. What a terrible way to live. What a genuinely terrible way to live. That is not the kind of philosophy I think that is available to Christians. Yeah. We do not have available to us. The idea that is expressed in that too, in that tattoo, where she didn't expect it. No expectations, no disappointments. Mm. Yeah. I think even Jesus. I mean, the scripture keeps telling us your expectations will not be caught up. Uh, we continue to have this hope. I mean, yeah. we have a strong foundation in hope as Christians. Yeah, yeah, the conviction that God is doing something good in the world. Yeah, something better is coming. Mm-hmm. That's not naive. It's not just wishful thinking, but it is right at the heart. Of Christian faith, yeah. we trust that God is doing something good in the world. So you can see how it's connected to suffering. Because if I genuinely trust in God and I believe that God is doing something good in the world around me, not just some ultimate when I die sort of sense, but even in this life, that God is doing something good in this world. He's planted the seeds of the kingdom. The kingdom is coming. It's coming around me. God is right now drawing creation toward ultimate fulfillment. He's doing good things in the world. That's hope. Yeah. That even in my suffering, mm-hmm. if I can trust that God is good and he is doing something good, mm-hmm. that's going to produce in me perseverance. Yeah. And just like doing the push-ups or the diet or running the laps, mm-hmm. that's going to make me stronger. Yeah. Uh, and that's the maturity or the character that Paul and James described. Yeah. And those are the muscles that result in hopefulness. Yeah. Hope. Uh, we, we don't have to descend into despair, and it's faithfulness in suffering that produces that kind of hope, Paul says. The question now, though, is uh, when people would ask is, is it really 
can we grow outside of suffering? Is growth not possible without suffering? I would challenge you to show an example of growth that happened outside of suffering. Uh, okay, I'm not the one. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's how I would respond to that. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, and you know, you might come up with one or two uh, examples of what, what what might seem like growth apart from um, suffering. You know, you can get you can get fatter apart from suffering. That's <laughs> uh, growth. Yeah, uh, you know, maybe you can get taller because mm -hmm. you didn't really do anything about yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, but um, but the kind of growth that matters, especially moral growth, mm -hmm. inner growth, yeah. intellectual growth, mm -hmm. um, it does require a kind of exertion. But here, more specifically, we're talking about bad stuff that happens to us. Yeah. And I think that the, you know, the examples that I gave about dieting or exercise mm -hmm. uh, or practice, those are a kind of, um, they're a parallel example mm -hmm. to the one that I think that is being addressed here in scripture, which is the, the, the suffering that happens to us, okay. uh, not the suffering that we choose. That we choose to go down, okay, yeah, that's true. Uh, and that's, but I think the same mechanism is at work. That when we when we when we suffer, when that bad stuff happens to us, if we persevere and are faithful through it, mm -hmm. we emerge stronger. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I I think that's just part of the way the world works. That doesn't mean that God is throwing obstacles in our path, trying to make life difficult for us. Um, but it does, I think, mean that God has ordered the universe so that. Even through the suffering that is in the world, mm -hmm. maybe we would say the suffering that results from free will, which is the cost of love and sacrifice that God wants to include in the world, that he's ordered the universe so that those things result in a benefit to us. Mm -hmm. And at least part of that benefit is perseverance, character, maturity, hope and hope. And where, where, the, where is the line drawn? Uh, for the kind of sufferings that actually happen. You find some people going through some suffering and they're like, I know that I'm supposed to grow, but this is becoming too much. Do you understand? I, can, I mean, there sometimes you could go through a lot and they're like, what do I need to learn from this? I think I've learned what I need to learn. This, this suffering is becoming too much. Yeah. I didn't ask for this. Three examples that I um, would want to show from, from, from Scripture. Hmm. Although, similar to what I said, about the problem of suffering in the first episodes. There's a difference between how we understand suffering theologically mm -hmm. and how we address pastorally somebody who is suffering. Suffering, huh? yeah, that's true. So I think here, uh, the things that I want to say here, I think they, they, they are relevant to this case, mm -hmm. um, but it's probably not the way that I would address somebody who is suffering. Okay. Uh, I want to be present with them in their suffering, to tell them that I'm sad with them, to offer to pray for them or help them in some practical way, mm -hmm. to express my empathy with them. Uh, and then, maybe, you know, if, if, if they genuinely want to have a theological conversation, try to understand it, maybe get into some of these points. But mm -hmm. my, my reaction in a pastoral sense is going to be to want to be present with somebody in their suffering mm -hmm. uh, and not give them... Uh, Quick answers. That's what you're yeah. uh, no, yeah. this is why this is happening. Or... Yeah, that's right. Oh, hey, hey, God is good. Yeah, God is good. good. <laughs> uh, that's probably not what somebody needs to hear. Yeah, when they're in the midst of a kind of suffering that they feel is so serious that they uh, causes them to doubt God's goodness. <laughs> so uh, the first example is from the Book of Job. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Sure. Let me 
just run through the, the first chapter of Job. Job is an amazing book. It's a powerful book. It's a, of course, it's a, uh, it's part of the uh, Old Testament wisdom literature tradition. It's a poetic book yeah. with lots of metaphor and uh, symbolism in it. And Job in the book is um, a character that God picks out for his faithfulness. So uh, the, the, the book starts by saying, in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. And it describes Job in really amazingly positive terms. Mm -hmm. Job is a man who fears God and, and shuns evil. Yeah. Uh, and the early, those first verses describe him as, as blameless and upright. Mm. Uh, that Job is blameless and upright. So from the first verses of Job, the author wants you to know that uh, Job is not being punished for something bad that he has done. That's not why he's experiencing what he's experiencing in this book. Mm. Rather, it's something else. And in that way, the book of Job is a response to a kind of theology, a bad theology that was obviously present in Job's day but continues to be present in the churches today. The right retribution theology. Um, which I think we mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the idea that God punishes me in this life for the bad that things that, that happen, the bad things that I do, and so I can look at somebody's life, and if they uh, are in a bad situation financially or health-wise, right, that means that they obviously are, are really bad sinners, they've done something wrong. Mm -hmm. And if somebody's powerful and uh, wealthy, then it must mean that they have been blessed. Mm -hmm. uh, so they are good people. Mm -hmm. uh, so the rich are good and the evil are poor because they are rich or poor. Yeah, there's bad theology. Well, there's a lot of people who believe that. I mean, there is, yes. Theologians are actually There are, and you, you can still hear it preached from pulpits, and, uh, and Job is in response to that theology. Mm. But Job, even though he is being described right from the very first verses, intact. Yeah, well, take a look at, at Job 1.1. In the land of Uzzah lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. That's the first verse of the book of Job. Yeah. The author of the book of Job wants you to know that whatever else is about to happen in Job, and we all know that some very, very bad things are about to happen to Job, that it's not his fault. Yeah. Yeah. So I know even some Christians and pastors even who, who do all kinds of interpretive gymnastics <laughs> oh, to try to Job. make Job to blame in the end. Yeah. But it, but because it, no, that's the whole point of the book of Job is that Job's suffering is not Job's fault. Yes, yeah. That is the rock bottom theological foundation of the book of Job. Job's suffering is not Job's fault. Job did not do something to deserve the suffering that he endorsed. And um, so, what's going on then? Well, Job, of course, has no idea about the contest that's happening behind the scenes. Yeah, exactly. And it's a contest not between Satan and Job, or between Satan and, or between God and Job, but it's a contest rather between God and Satan. <laughs> and in this context, contest between God and Satan, what's at stake is God's glory, God's worship worthiness. Throughout the book, God is actively establishing his glory. God wants to show that God is worthy of worship. Not because he's selfish or needs to hear his name praised, but because the world is designed in such a way that it is God-centered. Yeah. And, 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 and so that it works better for us when we put God at the center of our understanding. 
and in that way, recognizing God, worshiping God, is both for God's glory and yeah. for our benefit, our benefit as well. Yeah. So Job goes through all kinds of trials, as you know. Initially, he loses all of his wealth and all of the things that made him prominent in his society around him, but he also loses his family, his children, and eventually he loses his wife, metaphorically loses his wife, who, who tells him, curse God and die. Yeah. Um, but Job learns a lesson here. Job declares in response to this suffering after he, he refuses to accuse God of wrongdoing. Mm. And then Job says, though he slay me, mm. yet will I trust in him. Yeah. Even though he kills me, even yeah. if he kills me, I'm still trusting. Yeah. And there's a really significant lesson there. Job is learning to worship God, not for the things that God gives him. Yeah. Not for the wealth, not for the physical health even, yeah. not even for his family, but discovering, internalizing, genuinely coming to grips with the fact that God is worthy of worship. Yeah. So that's that first case. Mm -hmm. What is it that Job is benefiting? Job is benefiting by not only from the perseverance character and hope that results from suffering, but by coming face to face with this deep lesson uh, in the spiritual life that God is worthy of the worship, irrespective of what happens. Yeah. Uh, I